not because it has anything to do with what I have to preach today, but I, I ran across a song in one of our in, a, in the black book. We haven't sang in a long time. I just I would love to hear us sing it, and we have a little extra time because today's message is not as long as the typical Gussie sermon. So, <laughs> um, if we could turn to eight seventy, I think this is a beautiful prayer. It's an honest prayer. I certainly need this prayer, but again, it's not specifically over what we're about to preach, so it's not an introduction to that. But 870, if somebody would be willing to lead out, since I don't do so well on that. Home to be perfectly whole, I want thee for heaven to live in my soul. Down every idol, cast out every fall. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Lord Jesus, look down from thy throne in the sky and help me to make sacrifice. I give up myself and whatever I know. I patiently wait. Come now and within and Isn't that a beautiful prayer? I mean, that's, you feel, I took a picture the other day to send my wife. My wife and I send these pictures of hearts that we find randomly. Uh, I took a picture, and, and in the background of, of what I was showing her was some things that was like, yeah, that distracts. And, and I had this app on my phone I had no idea about. And you can push, push a button, and those things disappear. They blend into the background. It's What a cool thing that is. And, and I sometimes I just feel like I come up here, or I'm in service, or I'm... I'm in a dedicated time, like my quiet time, and there's just distractions. Wouldn't it be great to just be washed whiter than snow and just be able to have that time, that presence with the Lord? So, Lord, we we pray that prayer. Lord, this morning, I, I love what Jeremy just said uh, in his prayer over me. If there's stuff here that's of me, just 
have me forget it, uh, not see it on the page, and to go on because we only want you preached. In Jesus' name. Now, normally I come up here, I, I get asked pretty infrequently to come, and so uh, I'll have a burden. The Lord just seems to work that way. I have a burden that I'm working on, and, and there's an issue, there's something I want to do. Uh, to get through, and it just—it's such a great time to be able to get through it with you all, right? To say that I got this topic I really want to work on, and sometimes I'll have these burdens that I'm not—I'm not called to preach, so I'll—I'll I'll just start working on a sermon, and I—I wrote out some pretty good things. There's—I uh, got a half sermon, as it were, on predestination. I want to really delve into that and what it looks like from our point of view, and from what what the Bible actually preaches and teaches on it, rather than than what Calvin has said. Um, how about this for a for a beginning or a title of a sermon that I started working on a while about? Can you outsend God's grace? That's a topic worthy of thinking about. And I want to I want to delve into that at some point. Uh, I pulled that up and I looked at it and I thought I just don't feel like that's what God wants to do. What we want to do right now. Um, I've often thought how neat it would be to go through a letter, one of the smaller epistles, a letter that's actually written to a church someplace, and think of it as. There is an apostle that has come to Halsey and has preached and, and people have come to know the Lord for the first time and we're gathering together to kind of encourage each other. And here we have this precious letter sent to us. And just read the letter as the sermon as they would have. Wouldn't that be neat? I didn't feel like that was what we're supposed to do. So at, that, at some point, you may see me do that. Um, I've also... Uh, when I hit things and, and and try to figure out what they mean, sometimes I'll, I'll preach on those topics. I'm just trying to figure out, hammer those things out with you all, and, and, I, and I appreciate that. But today, I didn't feel a tremendous burden. I sat down to think about what, what does the word salvation mean, and I thought that would be a, a, a good topic. And I started working on that, and then I thought, no, I just don't feel like the Lord had me there. So there was another topic I thought about, and I started delving into that. And I just didn't quite feel like the Spirit was saying that's what to go. But I'll tell you, I've been reading out of 1 John for the last, like, over a month, probably two months, trying to get through 1 John. There's this so, it's so deep. I can't tell you how long I was on chapter 3. Chapter 3 is just... It, it, there is such a proving. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Are you experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your salvation to overcome temptations and darkness in your life? Are, is there fruit that's worthy of this tremendous act that Christ went through for us to be in the family? You, you ever doubt that? Go through First John. <laughs> there is so much rich uh, encouragement, testing, in First John, well, I don't want to go through the a whole book of First John. I've been probably the last two weeks just concentrating on chapter four. So I thought, if you don't mind, let's just look at chapter four. Let's just look at chapter four. I want you to follow the logic here. It was interesting that Jeremy was hitting on some of the topics that he was hitting on the Bible study. We're, we're going to kind of hit on those two as well. Uh, but I want you to follow the logic. This is very logical. Okay. Think about the logic of what I'm about to share. God is spirit. You want proof? In John chapter 4, verse 24, it says, God is spirit. So the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. After the fall, earth and all of its workings 
started the process of death, particularly man. Genesis 3, 17, we read this. Then God said to man, I commanded you not to eat from that tree, but you listened to your wife and you ate from it. So I will curse the ground because of you. You will have to work hard all your life and the food on the ground, uh, for the food on the ground that this produced. The ground will grow thorns and weeds for you and you will have to eat the plants that grow wild in the fields. You will work hard for your food until your face is covered with sweat. You will work hard until the day you die and then you will become dust again. I use dust to make you and when you die, you will become dust again. All of creation was tainted by the disobedience. Everything we touch has been tainted with sin and evil. The, the tree, I, I watch uh, uh, woodworking videos every now and then, just how to do different techniques. And one of the guys said, hey, don't blame me if it didn't turn out. I just work with dead wood or dead trees. That's all I do is I'm a dead tree worker. Um, well, the tree had to die to make this podium. All of earth has been touched by the disobedience of Adam and Eve. It's all tainted by sin. It says in, Gen- uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Our bodies, let's get personal here about this tainted world that we're in. Our bodies were born in sin, right? In Psalm 20 or 51, 5, it says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And we walk in constant evil. We have all become like, uh, uh, we've all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a pollutant gar- garment. We all fade, uh, fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That's Isaiah 64, 6, if you're writing notes. Out of Matthew 7, 17 through 18, we hear, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear bad fruit. If we are diseased with sin, we can't really produce anything good. Nothing that is tangible is spirit. So if God is spirit, he cannot be man. Ever. In Malachi 3, chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. But get the first part of that. For I am the Lord, and I do not change. And he's spirit. How could he become man? So then, beloved, following this logic, Jesus could not have come in the flesh. He had to be spirit, not, not man, not physical man. I hope all of you are very uncomfortable in your seats right now. Because what I just taught, what I just walked you through, the logic I just walked you through, is one of the very first attacks that hit the early church. It wasn't so much the Romans coming in, and the persecution coming in, and Jews persecuting. Satan's main attack was to get in and to teach deception by logic. I just walked you through a very logical argument that Jesus could not have been man. But I didn't hit all those verses that talk about the clear fact that he was. 
After his resurrection, he ate. Before his resurrection, he ate. He touched a leper. And the scripture says he touched a leper. There are over and over and over again proofs in the Bible, in the, in the biography of Jesus was that he was flesh. Before and after. Whatever glorified body he had after the resurrection, it was tangible. It wasn't the spirit thing that, that was taught in the early church as a deception. It was an attack by the devil. He infiltrated and he turned logic into thinking and thinking into logic without listening. He was, he was basically saying, this is all logic, but are you really listening to the argument this person's bringing? Does it make sense? Am I really listening to somebody who had firsthand, tangible knowledge of who Jesus was? Am I listening to all this, or am I just following this logic? Accounts of Jesus' ministry abounded at the time of John, when he wrote his book. It was the answer... Uh, he wrote First John as an answer that the attack that Satan was bringing. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10.5 it tells us. We hear that again. We destroy arguments. These arguments that are false, that the devil tries to infiltrate the church with, we destroy that. How do we destroy it? And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought. We destroy it by knowing who God is. By having a real relationship with Him. We, You know me. We've walked together for years. By the way, welcome, Elvers. Nice to see you. <laughs> but you, most of you all know me pretty well. You've walked with me for years. Would I teach a heresy up here? If, if you didn't know me, I would hope that Jeremy, at least, if not others, would stand up and go, whoa, whoa time out. Let's sing a hymn for a little bit. Bob, let's go talk. And, and, and there would be an ending to it. I remember uh, my wife's parents, they went to a church, and their main pastor went away for a while, and another pastor came in, and he started going through the logic and the reasoning and the experience of barking like a dog because they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and people collapsing, and all these other magical things that, that were happening in a church. And her mother made a comment that I'll never forget. Her mom said, where was our pastor? Where was the shepherd that was supposed to be protecting the flock? This stuff is crazy. This is not God. And and um, she made a good point. Where was the shepherd? But you all know me well enough that you know that I wouldn't stand up here and say that Jesus could not have come in the flesh because of all this. You know that. But if he didn't, so how did you know? How were you able to destroy that attack? You were able to destroy by knowing me and listening carefully. Well, something's going on here and something needs to be changed. First John 4.1 says this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. What does it mean to test? You know, in looking at this chapter and looking at different what people have to say, um, they've had some good thoughts and whatnot, but I, I think the most important thing you can do to test is to know the truth, right? That old saying about counterfeit money and the bank tellers not being trained on what counterfeit looks like, but being trained explicitly in what a real bill looks like. That holds true. Know the Bible well enough to know Jesus well enough. Know the, the Holy Spirit in your relationship with him well enough to know that teaching just doesn't sound right. That doesn't, that just doesn't sound right. Right? So that's, that's, that's how you, one way you can test it. I heard uh, one person preaching through, well, they were talking through this. They weren't really a preaching 
podcast. It was kind of talking through First John, and and they were talking together, and they and they said this isn't it interesting today in this day and age that we're so interested in how many carbs are in something that you you do the math right. I mean, you people don't. I'm big, so I have to do this. But the carbs is they say how many carbs are in something, and then you can take away the fiber. So that's a, a mathematical equation. And then you look a bit further, and you can take away what's called sugar alcohol. You can take that away. So then you can find out how many, and you got to do all the studying, right? And then people who say this is organic, well, it has to be certified organic. We have. I don't want to get into personal feelings on this particular issue, but we actually have to have government agents out to the hay press every now and then to certify that this wheat straw, that this alfalfa, that this timothy, this whatever, fescue, was grown organically to feed cows. Hmm. Um, but we have all this importance on inspecting and certifying and ensuring and, and looking at all the ingredients and trying to figure all this stuff out. And yet when we hear a new preaching, we have a tendency to go, wow, that's new. I never heard that. No, really. And, and, and then we can get into that thing and we, we get all twisted around and we can be focused on the wrong thing and the devil goes, yes, I did it again. But if we go, that's an interesting teaching. Let me, let me study that out. Let me think about that. Let me pray about that. Holy Spirit, is that what you, is that what you want to teach? And, and just get into the non-changing word of God. And the non-changing character of God. That's a way of testing. Get the, Be familiar with the Bible. Get familiar with the questions. But beyond my humble answer there, John goes on and he says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, going on. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. There is, of course, a historical reason for that answer, right? We just went through what the Gnostics had taught. The Gnostics taught that the world is all evil, the flesh is evil, everything we touch is tainted with evil because it's tangible, it's part of this evil world, and therefore Jesus could not have been tangible. He was a spirit, etc., etc. So, John is specifically talking about that heresy, but let's boil down what he did talk about, though. He's saying that there is a Jesus that's being taught that is not the real Jesus. Right? That's what he's kind of saying there. He's, he's, he's specifically over this one attack on the, on the Bible and on Jesus, but he, in his description there, he says that he, um, everybody in this room has been asked, Everybody, either by somebody witnessing to you or maybe the Holy Spirit specifically mentioned to you, everybody in this room has been asked this question, who do you say I am? Jesus has asked you, who do you say I am? It could have been an evangelist, it could have been a preacher, it could have been just in a quiet time. Whenever whenever you accepted Jesus as Lord, it was an answer to that question. So you have faced that question. But others have answered that question in different ways. There is a belief system out there, believe it or not, that he is the half-brother of Satan. <laughs> I mean, how far do you have to go into the Bible to realize, what? <laughs> that teaching can't even be possibly backed up by anything historical. However, they teach that in their congregation. This morning, they're probably teaching it. Right down in Harrisburg, they're teaching it. Um, how about this? He's a conglomeration of many teachers at the time that John wrote this book. 
So Jesus said this, and some guy named Jesus said that, <laughs> some guy named Joe said that, and some other thing. And let's just put them all, lump them all together, because they kind of talked about the same stuff. Let's just make this, and just say Jesus, right? If you, if you go to Google and you say, who is Jesus? Great source of information, right? We can always trust Google. Uh, Google came up with this, and uh, to the ancient Gnostics, uh, Jesus was taught that he, or taught that Jesus was uh, only appeared in human form, but was truly a spirit. We talked about that earlier today. That was the Gnostics. The Arian heresies. Again, remember, Arians were the ones that said uh, that there is no trinity, uh, there was just one God, uh, etc. So they, they had some things there that was at the Nicene, uh, the uh, Council of Nicaea. They talked about the Arian heresy. But the Arian heresy says this about Jesus, said that Jesus was... Uh, was a creation of God. That he was a creation of God. So he didn't pre-exist. You'd have to throw out a big chunk of Genesis chapter 1. You'd have to throw out a big chunk of Colossians. You'd have to throw out a lot of stuff to believe that. Islam reduced Jesus to a mere human prophet. Medieval Roman Catholicism says this, represented Jesus as an austere king, only to be approached through mediators. You, the common folk couldn't pray to Jesus. You talk to your priest, and your priest talks to Jesus for you, right? Muslims believe that Jesus, called uh, something here, I don't even pronounce it, uh, was a prophet of God and was born to a virgin Mary. At least they have some of it right. But that he was just a prophet, not God. The Baha'i faith says that he was a manifestation of God, just as Abraham, Moses, and Krishna, and Buddha, etc., etc. So he was just a representation in human form, so they got that part right, but he was in a long line of many. What? What's the Bible say about that? He was the one and only Christ, the Messiah, the living God. The one and only. In Hebrews it talks about that. That's a good place to stay there. Um, so what do we say? If someone shares with us one of the false ideas above, we have to be able to respond that, no, he wasn't just a great teacher. If he was a great teacher, he was insane because he said he was God. And if he said he was God and he wasn't God, then he was a liar. But what's the fruit of his life? Does he look like a liar? He said, I'm going to die, and he was resurrected. And there's so many external sources from the Bible that says that he did resurrect. It was a common understanding from most of the people that John was talking to here. So, yeah, that doesn't hold water. Moving on. In 1 John chapter 4, again, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As if you ever, if you ever have a child or a spouse or a good friend come to you and they are broken about something and you just know it's just not, it's not a right thing to be broken over. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know how to say this. Um, I just can't forgive somebody. That's a good one. I can't forgive that person. I This person has hurt me so badly, I just can't forgive them. Well, Jesus overcame so much to forgive us. He has the power that he's willing to give us. So that's just not a true statement. You can forgive. You just don't want him. 
you want to pray scripture over somebody in that situation, or even yourself? How about this? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The deception you're believing right now, not as great as Jesus is. So pray that over your child. Pray that over your spouse. In those moments of hard fellowship, pray that into that, into that conversation. We have this strife break. We're talking about a lot of things. We're angry about a lot of things. There's a lot of unforgiveness in the room. But greater is he who's in us that, that, that's causing all this malfunction in this family. Greater is he that's within us. Let's plug into some real power here and get through this. Anyway. But there's two sides in the section of verse I just read there. Verses 4 through 6. There's two sides, and we've got to make sure we know that. There's a side that is called the world, and there's a side that says that we are in him. Too easily the world teaches that we can kind of be in Jesus on Sunday. We can kind of be Jesus when we're around our Jesus friends, but we can be worldly when we're with our worldly friends. There's, there's kind of that teaching out there that kind of makes it. But John is making it really clear. Either you're in God or you're not in God. Hear that teaching and know that that is a teaching from the Bible and it is something serious for us to consider. You're either on the Lord's side or you're on the world's side, as it was mentioned earlier. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be our propitiation for our sin. In the words of Paul, you know, he came to mind while I was reading that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, But God commandeth his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That earlier part in 1 John when we were reading, it says that he, he sent his only begotten son in the world. Does that sound familiar? It should. It was written by the same author, right? 1 John 3.16. Same author. His son was sent into the world because of his love for us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. So, I, I uh, did a little study on the word a little bit later. This is this is coming up later, but let me just mention it right now. Um, I did a little study on the word hate, and it was interesting to me that you think of hate in our language, and it's like I just can't stand that guy. Just hate him. I just, you think of it that way, but actually, the word hate has been translated in other places as indifference. And let me just be honest with you. I and that's this is. I hopefully a trademark of every time I preach. So let me just be honest with my own faults. I get email that I have to cipher through. I, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't have time to read that. I don't have time to read that. I don't have time to read that. There's a lot of unsubscription things that load boards and things I get. But there's one particular load board. Don't know what a load board is. There's one particular company that says we have these loads for a trucking company to take. Listen to us, and we'll show you some things that you can make money on. That's, it, that's what a load board is, right? So there's one particular load board that always sends a picture joke with their their deal, and some of those the picture jokes are hysterical. I, I just um, I cut them and send them to my wife, or send them to Benjamin, or send them to to Jeremy. Or some of them are just 
flat out hysterical. And when that comes up in email, I click on it and look at it. And I, I think whatever, and then I go on to my life. And I just, this is the part of I need to confess to you guys. More times than not, let me just be completely honest. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. More times than not, I see that, I click on it, I read it. And then as I'm skimming through my email, I got Voice of the Martyrs. I just delete it without even opening it. Am I experiencing disinterest there? Am I, am I showing that the least of my brethren are in prison? They're persecuted. Their husbands are being killed and tortured and destroyed and taken from their families. Their, their children are being burned in front of them. They're all being gathered in church buildings and the church building burnt down. And here, here is a platform to be able to reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ and say, pray for these people. If there's money, sure, but pray for these people. And what do I do? Indifferently click that off because I just don't have time for that. But I have time for this joke. You know, I, so hate doesn't mean, I hate. it means indifference. Am I walking in Christ's spirit if I'm indifferent to the weaknesses of my brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are they my brothers and sisters in the Lord is what John would say. He, he would say, don't glance over this. Listen, if if you hate these people, are you even a Christian? Or are you a liar? Something I, I got out of this service, I just want to make sure you guys hear that I got it. <laughs> I hear it, Lord. Um, he sent his son to pay for our sins. He, he said, while you're yet a sinner... I am going to make a way. God had every right to say he doesn't want to save us. He He had every right to just, like he told Moses, I'm going to wipe everybody out and I'm going to start again. He had every right to do that. But instead he made a way. He paid the debt, the propitiation. He, he gave a sacrifice. God the Father gave a sacrifice for us to be able to have a relationship with him. And that means that we don't have the right to be indifferent. We don't have the right to be have anger towards somebody who sinned against us. There's nothing anybody in this room has done to anybody else in this room or out that equals what we do almost on a daily basis to God. So keep that in mind. He's forgiven us. We can forgive others. I think that's a big part of what John had to share. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Two things here I want to talk about before we go on to the first test here in this particular chapter, although the whole book is full of tests, but this one of the first tests before we talk about that, can, can I just ask you, this, this is the interactive, this is a Bible study time, so get, get your, your tongues ready to say something to me, please. Don't let me stand up here in silence. Sorry, I came in late, so I didn't catch the first part of your Bible study. I, I, I should have been more vocal. Um, so, okay. No one has seen God. Knowing from the Bible, Moses saw his backside. Through the Old Testament, we have these appearances of God, Christophanies, where Jesus showed up. 
and talked to Joshua. He talked to, uh, uh, he wrestled with Jacob, Israel. He, so we have these Christophanies of God showing up and seeing people talking to him. There's other places I'm sure you, you're thinking of right now where God appeared. Jesus is God. John saw him. So if John believed that Jesus was God, how could he say no one has seen God at any time? I think I have an answer, but I, I want to hear what you guys would have to say on that. Come on. This is called silence. I don't even know what it's like. That's fine. The question is, he makes a statement. He says, no one, this is verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. But we see God appearing in the Old Testament in Christophanes, and uh, the appearance of Christ early on before his birth. But we also see God like walking away from Moses. So he saw at least his backside, right? He, he was in the presence of God and his face was glowing and he came down from the mountain. So Moses had some interaction with, with God. Um, you know, we, we could, uh, Isaiah, right? There's a, there's a, he was in the presence of God. So no one has seen God. He's made this statement. It's a pretty black and white statement. How do we answer this? I wonder if it means no one has seen God in his fullness. Like God is not allowed all of his glory to be displayed. So not so maybe partial of his glory, right? Because up on the hill of Mount Tron of Configuration, he, he revealed himself a bit. think that's what he told Moses. Moses said, I just want to see you. And he says, no, you're kidding. You don't want to see me. Trust me. <laughs> you would die. I think specifically John is talking about the love of God is so amazing. There's no, there's no way that we could experience it in person. In the flesh, in the tainted flesh that we are, in the sinful nature that we have here, if, if we would be so overcome. I'm not saying we'd be overcome to the point of parking, barking like a dog, but we may faint. I mean, we, we would be so overcome by his love. His love is so much bigger than we can describe. And I don't think anybody has seen, when Jesus was around, he displayed love, but I don't think he let it all out. I don't think he let it all out. Mount Transfiguration, um, that's a whole other lesson. I won't go down that rabbit trail. But I, I, yeah, I do have thoughts there. Uh, but anyway, moving on. He says this, he gives us a test. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he is given of his spirit. So, he is given of us his spirit. His spirit allows us to say no to sin. His spirit infills us with the power to be able to live a victorious life and obey him. In 1 John 2, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. There's a test. By this, we know that we're in him. He who says he abides in him 
ought himself also walk just as he walked. So you see that the, one of the tests there is, are we walking in obedience? There's another test that he gives, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let uh, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. So again, same author as chapter 7 in John, you get that whole abiding conversation. Uh, but again, the test, the test is, first test, uh, we get there in First John, is chapter 2, he talks about, are you walking? Like you said you're going to be walking. Is he, is he filled you with obedience? Number two, um, if you deny that Jesus is the Christ, he is the answer to all the promises that we have in the Old Testament. He did come. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And in fact, to say that he isn't demonstrates the spirit and the presence of the Antichrist. Which we could talk about Israel right now, but I'm not going to. But we, but the presence that says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that Jesus isn't the Messiah, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, here's another test in 1 John chapter 3, that precious chapter, chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, for everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he has manifested to take away our sins. He came to take his express purpose, his ministry, his sacrifice was to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For, the, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he was born of God. And lest anybody here feel condemned, this is not talking about those moments when there's a flare-up, and you just like your flesh just... Be, until we die, we're never going to be free of that. It's not an excuse. But if there's flesh that comes up in anger or whatever, deal with it. Come before the Lord. Confess it. Work through it. Confess it to others. Tell others you need prayer over this because it shouldn't have dominion over you. But this whole discussion that, that John's having here in chapter 3 is about the dominion, the authority that sin has over you. The power. If you're walking in sin, secret sin, open sin, whatever, if you're walking in sin then know that John's saying, hey, that's a test. Are you really in Christ if you're walking in sin? Here's another uh, part here. 1 John uh, 5, 13. Well, hold on, let's go back up here. Acknowledging with our own life and confession that Jesus is God, is God's son, is the sacrifice for our sins. He who said, who he who he said he is, is. In other words, are we... That was a quote, not out of the Bible. If if we are saying that he really is God, then we're confessing that by our life and by our language and by our by our obedience and by what we do submitting to God. If he truly is God, then we're acting like he's God. That's the test that John's talking about there. 
we read in the first part of this chapter that, that uh, judging a prophet by what he says comes down to acknowledging Jesus as God with us. The same is true with us. We have more than faith to know that God is Jesus and Jesus is God. We have more than faith. We have more than facts. We have a working knowledge that he is because he's answered our prayers. He listens to us. Even when we're in a dry spell, we know that God is bigger than us. So we have that test. That's a test. It's not, he is not churchianity. By the way, did you know churchianity is actual word? I looked it up. There's actually a word. The churchianity is actually, and it means following a religion, following a, a, a sect. It's following standards. It's following all that, but it's not following God. That's Christianity. It's following Christ. So, by the way, that's another good topic to, to preach on is what Christianity is. But anyway, uh, but we are not doing Christian, uh, churchianity. We're doing Christianity. We're following Christ. Um, and in chapter 5, he kind of goes into this whole reason he wrote the entire book. I have written this to you. This is verse 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. The book is riddled with these tests because he wants you to know. Are you passing this? Are you passing this? Are you pa-? Then you can claim it. Then you know that you are saved. A side note, I would imagine those... Uh, who preach eternal security would have a little bit of a problem with this book. I, I wrote that before I started listening to some people who have an eternal security point of view. Um, they didn't have a problem at all. They just glossed right over it. <laughs> they, they just focused on other parts of the book, uh, but they didn't talk about the possibility of losing your salvation or stepping out of your salvation or disobeying, but you, disobeying when you used to obey. None of that came up, and they just glossed right over those verses and went right into the other parts. And I even heard one talk about the proof of eternal security in Christ based on First John. I was like, okay, where? Where did you get that? Um, but anyway. Uh, verse 14 says this, and we, have, uh, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Don't miss a powerful word there. There was a really powerful word in that sentence. And we have seen and testified. This isn't a book we're just reading. This is an eyewitness account of Jesus and Jesus' life. And he's saying these are the tests. This, this man is worth listening to. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because uh, as he is, so are we in this world. And I like how the New Living Translator put it this way. It says in 1 John chapter 4, 17, in New Living, it says this, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here on earth. Now, just as a personal experience, seriously? Wow. Uh, as a personal experience, uh, I, I really used to like woodworking years ago. And I really got into crafting and shaping and sanding and, and even lathe work. And as I had so much fun. I made a, a, forgive me for being so worldly, but I made a ring box <clears throat> for my wife when I asked her to marry me. Uh, I, I gave her a, a, a heart-shaped box. 
and it was it was a maple burrow. If you ever seen maple, beautiful. I took this box, and I made it. I made it into a. I shaped it. I drilled a hole. I put a walnut cover on it. I got I got uh, a, a strip of velvet, which by the way you can't buy as a strip. You have to buy it like a half a yard or something. It was really expensive for a little time. Anyway, so I made this ring box, and we sang. Uh, uh, God created me a clean heart. And as we were singing that song together in worship, I slipped it into her hand. I mean, it was all perfect. It was all good. But not knowing woodworking too much, have you all know what a joiner is? It's a flat table with a fence and it has a spinning blade underneath the table and has this thing that covers it. And you take your board and you go over top of it and it, it just trims, it makes it completely flat. Really important when you run it against a different fence like a, like a table saw. Right, you have to have an a flat side. Well, that was the first thing I did with this this maple burl with all these little knots and these little little intricate things all the way around it that God created. I ran that over the the uh, the uh, joiner. That blade grabbed it and threw it like a rock, right, just just like thirty feet into the wood shop that I was working in. Had anybody been standing there, that that I probably wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be in a jumpsuit of some sort. Um, but that that box taught me something you don't take something with knots through a joiner there's something else you have to do you have to sand it you have to do whatever but you don't take it through a joiner that's that spinning blade is too much so i learned and i did this and i learned i did this and i made uh, a big gigantic wheel long story but i made a crib that all my children slept in um, and i learned so much on that crib and i really got into woodworking long pause <laughs> Well, I had an opportunity, I have a desire to make a cradle, a little tiny cradle for each of my children. And, and you know, there's one coming. Um, there's a grandbaby coming. So I had to get to it, and I jumped back into a wood shop. I was, uh, John Krupp was nice enough to allow me to use his, so every Saturday I was up there working on that thing. For, sorry I wasn't there for the wood chopping, but I was doing something more important. So I was up there. He had a joiner, by the way. No knots. So I was able to use the joiner. Um, I did all this stuff. I worked on this. And I made a lot of mistakes because I haven't been into woodworking. Had I been doing woodworking for all these years, I could be doing my own YouTube videos. I could be showing people how to make cradles. But uh, as it was, I, I had fear presenting this to them. You know, this the streak here, I used a belt sander, a crossed grain, and so I, it was, I never could get that last scratch out of there. You always go with the grain. I forgot that law of woodworking. I mean, there's things about that thing that I look at it and go, oh, oh that's a flaw, that's a flaw, that's a flaw. Um, I hope they liked it. I did present it to them. But, um, but the deal is, had I been in it all those years, I would have been an expert. Same thing with Christianity. You've got battles that you have to face. You could be an expert and an overcomer if you're in Christ. Every day. And don't just pause and take time to do something else, but be in Christ all the time. Wow, that was a long rabbit trail right there. But uh, but knowing and seeing and having the experience, you can help others because you've gone through those battles. You've, you've seen those battles. You've seen them being overcome. You can get faith from that. All right. As well, uh, and remember too that as you become an expert in those things and God helps you through those things, denying that time with the Lord makes you an expert in the worldly ways to solve problems. You get that? If you're an expert in the worldly way to save problems, that means you know really well how to lie, how to cheat, how to, how to uh, connive, how to just build up your flesh, how to be prideful, 
you know ways of getting away from things. There's a verse in Revelation that says, who's outside in the darkness outside the wall? And one of the lines, there's lots of things there, but one of the things is, he who maketh and loveth a lie. That's a powerful verse. It talks about those people who are out there in the darkness. You're, you know how to get around things worldly. You will become a very good liar. You will love that lie because it will save you. He who maketh and loveth a lie. Anyway. Uh, so the day of judgment. You could come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 6, 9 tells us. We could come boldly. Not 6. I'm sorry. That's another chapter. But you can come boldly before the throne because of the love that you have for him. Um, yeah, well, it, it goes on, and I really, for time's sake, really need to go on. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. I got to thinking about uh, some of that perfect love. See, keep in mind, if you, if I, I, I didn't, I haven't worked with wood for a long time, so there wasn't perfect love in, in, in cast or showing that cradle to, to my son and daughter. I, I was, you know, I was a little like, oh, I don't know. Um, but perfect love means I, I have exercised this. I know this. I have exercised a relationship with God. When it comes to judgment day, I don't have to like, oh, Lord, please. I, I probably will anyway. I just know me. But, but I can have confidence if I know and been walking in obedience with God. It, you're all going to die. We are going to die. We're all terminal. We're all going to die. So we're going to face that judgment. A fellow said this, and it, and it made so much sense to me, and I want to go on with what he said. He, he said this. He said, imagine uh, you're at uh, Grand Canyon. You're at the Grand Canyon, and there's a toddler that's toddling towards the edge. That mother could be terrified of heights. doesn't matter. That mother's going to run at full speed towards that crevasse to be able to catch that child. She has perfect love. There is nothing weird about her love for this child it is perfect it's complete love and she doesn't want to see that child go down so i thought you know that's a pretty good illustration but it's one thing to tell kind of a fake story can you tell a real story so i I just typed in um mother dying saving child i can't tell you how many came up but let me just read you some of these things these will break your heart mother drowns attempting to save son who slipped into the waters. Melissa Bagley, 44, died after she became trapped in a current. Mother dies trying to save four kids from drowning in Florida. St. Petersburg's Florida authorities say a mother died after trying to rescue four children who became caught in a strong rip current. Mother dies after rushing into a burning house in New Jersey. Mother dies after rushing into a burning house in New Jersey to try to save her daughter. Hero mother dies trying to save her son on Cork Beach. A woman who heroically dived into the sea to save her 10-year-old son from drowning has died. Mother dies fighting wild boar to save 11-year-old daughter. Mother dies fighting the wild boar, 11-year-old daughter. A courageous woman fought off a wild boar to save her 11-year-old. Texas mother dies saving three-year-old daughter. Um, this is uh, from the floods, from the, from the Harvey a tornado that came through. The, the child, aha, uh-huh, that'll break your heart. This was August 30, 2017. Texas mother died while saving a three-year-old daughter from the Harvey floods. The child was found clean to her mother's body. Uh, mother dies trying to save three-year-old who fell from a cliff. A 37-year-old mother died trying to save her three-year-old son during a hike uh, this last Sunday afternoon in uh, Columbia Gorge, Oregon. 
That was in uh, 2016. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. There's one here about uh, they were going through an animal park and a tiger attacked her, attacked her daughter, a tiger. Do you think she was thinking, yeah, I could take that tiger? <laughs> yeah, no, she was thinking, I love that child and it's being mauled. She jumped out of the car. She was taken away. Child's lived. There's one, one here about uh, uh, the falls in Niagara. Niagara Falls fell 90 feet. They don't know the story. There was a father and another child, but a three-year-old child fell with her mother over the 90 feet. You ever see Niagara Falls? There's not, there's like, there's no mattresses down there. It's hard rock. 90 feet into hard rock. She died. Baby lived. Now, I don't know the circumstances of how that happened. I don't know if she was running for the baby. I don't know if she slipped. Could have even been a, a suicide attempt. I don't know. But I tell you this, 90 feet and the baby lived. She must have been holding and protecting that baby. At some point during the fall or even before, there was that perfect love demonstrated. If you have perfect love for Jesus, if you have perfect love, that means complete love. If you have complete love for the Jesus we know, who was God who walked in human form to save us, then then you're not going to fear judgment day because you're going to walk in that love. It's going to be instinctive to do. And I and I just want to say this this uh, the last part, the last verse there, 19. Um, oh, there's just so much there to, to share. Matthew Henry goes on and on about the motivation of love, and and Wesley has some things about the say of love. I'm just out of courtesy not going to say that, but I'll, I'll say out of his last verse. I had a wonderful sister in the congregation said, "You know, you read a verse wrong. You gave the wrong address. You really should just read from the Bible more than reading from your notes." She was right. <laughs> um, in 1 John, chapter 4, the last verse, chapter 4, it's down in 21, 20, I'm sorry, verse 20 and 21, it says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him, that in truth, uh, and that we are in him, that is uh, that is true, even in his son. This is chapter 5. That's why it made no sense at all. See, you know, I'd rather go off my notes. Anyway, from the Bible says, chapter 4, If a man says, I love God, and, ha- and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment uh, have we from him, that he who loveth God loves also his brother. Back in the idea when I said, I've often had this idea, what it would be like to read a letter as the sermon itself, as it was a letter sent from an apostle to a local congregation he loved so much that he started whatever. I've often thought what would, that would be neat. But can you imagine just the room is, is dimly lit, there's a candle, a lantern someplace, and, and a guy is, is reading we got this letter from this this uh, lovely apostle that loves us so much. And let me just read it. Can you imagine being on this side of the room and purposely being on that side of the room from a person that you've had an argument with and hearing that? If you have anger, if there's a relationship that's broken in this, it's super important because it's a salvation issue. 
It shows that you are in Christ or you're not in Christ. If there's not forgiveness, if there's indifference, if there's hatred, there's anger, and you're willing and tolerating enough to be in the same room, but you can't converse, that doesn't demonstrate the love of Christ. So, um, just if you can get that picture, these are real words written to real people, and we can be included in that group. I, I skipped a couple verses. Isn't that terrible? I thought here I was going to make a really short sermon because it was such a short thing. And um, but God is good, isn't He? That's, that's really good. First John, I, I recommend it. I think my, I, in homeschool we've had uh, sometimes my wife had the children read a, a book and give a book study, and then they have to say at the end of it, "Do I recommend this book or not?" These are the reasons. I think you just heard all my reasons why I highly recommend First John. It is an amazing book. I remember a time in my life where uh, I was coming out of sin and trying to get clean and trying to walk in the light. And somebody from this church, might have been Matthew, I can't remember, somebody gave me a tape series of John D. Martin's study on First John. I, I will always remember those those tapes, cassette tapes. That's how long ago it was. Uh, because the, the, it was just so powerful. I needed to hear every single word. So First John, incredibly important. Test after test after test. Are you walking in the light or not?